All right, we are in Joel chapter 2. I'm going to start reading about verse, if you have your outline there, we're going to get, uh, take off from there. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, it's about 835 B.C., approximately 835 B.C. There is the only queen of Judah who is on the throne. What was her name? Athaliah. Athaliah was married to Jehoram, who's the son of two very bad dudes. Well, two very, dudette and a dude. Ahab and Jezebel, that's their son. So she was married to them, him. And then her son, Ahaziah, took over the throne for just a year. Who killed Ahaziah? He was a horseman extraordinaire. Jehu. No, that's his name, not Jehu, but Jehu's his name. Sorry, that's terrible. Uh, uh, Jehu killed Ahaziah. So she's lost her husband. She's lost her son. What does she do? She kills all the potential other people, all the other boys, except... One one-year-old little boy named, couldn't find him, Josiah. So, she reigned. She's been the queen mother for 12 years, she has, oh, and then she was, oh, she was the queen, then the queen mother for a year. Now she has taken over the reins, and this is possibly the time when Joel writes. Now, I'm just, I'm just trying to think, put this through your mind. What was Judah like when a queen was had usurped the authority, killed all the potential kings, would have killed, I think, Josiah had not God rescued him providentially. This is the kind of, so we think that the Old Testament prophets, well, they didn't really, you, let me ask you to write, what, if you're going to write something to the powers that be in a, our country today, and you're going to say something clearly, you just get ready, there's going to be some backlash when you say the clear truth you put it on somewhere. I don't do it. I don't want to get involved in that. But you put it somewhere, there's going to be some backlash. Joel gives and writes his prophecy potentially during this time. I think it helps to see, to set the table of what the person's going through. You mentioned the lady just lost her husband a couple weeks ago. I think only people can understand that as people who've had to go through the very same thing. I can, I can wish her my sympathies, but I really don't know. What that's like, not that I want to experience that either. But we sometimes we, we look at a situation and we don't see, well, what kind of moccasins have they had the wind walking in the last several months? And why are they acting like that? And we just sometimes we are as a human being, we're quick to, to make spot decisions. So Joel goes on this thing, he's a pre-exilic prophet. So what other kind of prophets were they in relation to the exile? There were exilic prophets. Jeremiah, Daniel, and there were post-exilic prophets. So there, the ex, I see Jewish culture, 605 to 535 B.C., what an important time, those 70 years, what an important time in the Jewish culture it was. And so the prophets really are sort of kind of put in sequence to that or to give us a frame of reference. Joel has predicted a huge, or they just have gone through a huge locust battle. Now, I believe he's going to actually human beings, starting in, let's just start at verse 2, verse chapter 1, verse 2, 1, 2, 1, blow you the trumpet in Zion. Why are we blowing the trumpet? Why did Israel blow trumpets? Okay, different reasons, to, call, to anoint someone, to, to call them to service. The wars are coming. 
You hear that at nine o'clock. I'll go if I'm at McDonald's at nine o'clock on Wednesday nights. You hear that. I don't know if it's the time thing or not. But when it's not nine o'clock and that goes off, I'm sorry, those are listening online. That noise, uh, that means something's happening. So when they blow the trumpet, it could be the king's coming. Uh, let's get to war. Blow your trumpet in Zion. What is Zion? About Zion? Specifically, we would, we would drill it down to what city? Jerusalem. The Jerusalem. So important. Have you ever thought about why? I've got to do a message on this. But how Goliath and how these things, the head of Goliath and where Mount Zion is and Melchizedek in Genesis 14, how all the, and why is it the Antichrist and Satan goes after people in Jerusalem? Why is he always centered on, look, what does the Bible say? He, they come back to Jerusalem. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. The Antichrist circles his armies first for Armageddon around Israel, Jerusalem. And then at the very end, he circles them again. He encompasses the whole. Why is that that Satan always goes to Jerusalem? Is it, I like that answer too. It's a very long answer. But, but you're right. You're spot on. He, 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 he wants... Something's happened. You should look in Genesis, and I'm, I haven't studied all that yet. Genesis 14, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And who's the other king of Sodom? King of Sodom. The son of God, the, uh, the angel of God. And who's between them? Father Abraham had many sons. I think sometimes... We read through these things. I think the Bible is so much deeper than you and I can even fathom and imagine. That we, we have, God has all the, and every, the further you look into it, the more God will reveal to you. And, I'm not, and some of those things are peripheral things. Some of the things we study are the virgin birth is a cardinal doctrine. We must, I think we all have to, I will tell you, we all have to agree on that. To be truly born again, that Christ is born of a virgin. That's a cardinal doctrine. To other things, it's exciting to see how we, 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 we don't see the layers. We see a surface. People see, see the surface and the Christmas story. That's nice. I'll read it again next year. And we don't just... How does it all fit? Let's go on. I will get back on <clears throat> the main spur. <clears throat> Here we are. Blow you the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm <clears throat> in my holy mountain and let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the... Day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Now remember, there can be immediate, there can be imminent, there can be immediate, and there can be future. Uh, 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 I'm working for a word here. Future inclinations, or indications, indications better, of these prophecies. For it is nigh at hand. Here, this coming time is going to be soon. Some of this. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds, a day of darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and strong. <clears throat> Got a frog in there. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and of horsemen, so shall they run. The immediate fulfillment, possibly, 
the best, I, the best I've been studying it out, spent some time on this. Immediate fulfillment would be the time in Isaiah 36 and 37. Sennacherib, Sennacherib, however you want to pronounce his name, Sennacherib comes on the scene. He is run roughshod over. This is about 701 BC. He's run roughshod. Earlier, uh, Assyrians have in 722 took all 10 tribes of the northern kingdom into captivity. He has been thumping and bumping. He's been wiping out everything in Judah. And his last, evidently, one of his very last things was to beat up on what? Jerusalem. Who is the good king? There's a song about that. Good king Hezekiah. He goes real little, good king Hezekiah. Like that. He, king, king Hezekiah is on the throne. Matter of fact, to say that he was a good king is a little bit of an understatement, for I read in 2 Kings chapter 18 about good king Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah. Stop for just a moment. Who would that include, kings of Judah? Well, you know, maybe it wouldn't. Why would I say it might not include David? What happened in 930? You find that the, the 12, it split, right? The 12 tribes split. David was king of all 12 tribes, right? Yes. So he wasn't necessarily a king of Judah alone, Benjamin Judah. But we shall go on. All the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. So good king Hezekiah's on the throne. Sennacherib comes in. He, he sends Rabshakeh, the mealy mouth uh, guy, to speak some things against. He wouldn't even he spoke so the people could hear in Hebrew, I guess it was, he, the language they heard on the walls. And Stop speaking that language. No, I'm going to speak it. And, and all these things. What happens? God sends the whom? Angel of the Lord. 185,000. Sennacherib goes back home and dies at home, worshiping his own God, killed by his two Sons, very good. So, when we consider that is the possible immediate fulfillment of this verse, let's continue on then. Like the noise of chariots in the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as the strong people set in battle array. Now, I see the word people here. Some say this is another case of infestation of by locusts. But he uses the word people, so I'm tending to think this is a people. That before their face, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march everyone in his ways, and they shall not break their ranks, neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. Now, if you heard that, what would you do? I'm starting to prepare. I'm buying an AR. I'm going to get me a lot of extra bullets. I'm going to go, they're on sale. I'm going to get me one of those little called Uplula. You can take one of those things and squeeze it. and I've not done it yet, but I got, you can get Uplula to, to do your little, I want to say they are magazines. They are magazines, what they are. We're going to get prepared. I'm going to get on Patriot Supply and buy three months worth of food or maybe six months of food for everyone in my household. I mean, just put a little water in it. You got, it lasts three or four years. I don't know how long it lasts, but it lasts a long time. That's why he's saying, blow the trumpet. There's, there's an army coming, so there's an immediate fulfillment. Imminent, imminent. There's going to be a future time also, I think this is going to apply to. 
Hold your finger there. I hope you have your Bibles ready. Well, we are in Revelation. Look at Revelation 9 for just a moment. There could be, we just read about these, verse 4, the appearance of a horses and a horseman, and they shall run. It's possible a referential, speaking to a reference. That's better on big words. Smaller word, Revelation 9, 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice, 9, 13, 6, 13 of Revelation 9, 13. This is the sixth trumpet, voice in the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great Euphrates, and the four angels were loose, which are prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. Isn't the tribulation going to be a horrible time? And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. That 200 million? 2 million. 200 million? And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and jansons and brimstone, and the heads of the horsemen were the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And these three were a third part, by these three were a third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. Joel 2, 5. And the noise of the chariots on tops of the mountains. And verse 4, the appearance of them is the appearance of horses as horsemen so they ran, like the noise of the flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. It is possible, some would think, move this, we could juxtapose this into Revelation chapter 9, would be a future fulfillment. We do not know with certainty. Shall, shall we carry on? We shall. That's the description of the army. There's the, this is the army of God in the 10, back in Joel chapter 2, verse 10. And the earth shall quake before them, and the heavens shall tremble. Have, has anybody been through an earthquake? Anybody? Oh, Webster Stevens has small ones. I think it's a very traumatic experience to have been like a really, really big earthquake. Isn't it interesting how often in God's word there's going to be earthquakes and destruction and everything? Yes. The earth shall quake before the heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? The day of the Lord is coming. I believe it starts with the even possibly the Ezekiel 38-39 battle, but certainly with the tribulation time and as a time of judgment. The day of the Lord is going to be a little different for over if you look over here in chapter 2, we find in verse 28, very famous verse, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, Joel 2:28. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. If we consider, which I believe is true, Ezekiel, Israel and church as two separate entities and as the future goes down, now right now, the church, the times of the Gentiles is still going on. This is the church age. If Israelites, Jewish people are going to be in heaven, I believe they have to receive Christ as their Messiah now. That's my personal belief. I don't believe that they can just carry it on even through the tribul- even through the rapture and they'll still have, I believe this is the church age. Matter of fact, who started the church? Who were the Jews or Gentiles? The very first church people were Jews. Right? And then the, praise the Lord, God allowed us to be part of the church. But the, as the Jew, this, this, the prophecies are going to affect the Jewish people differently than the 
than the Gentiles. He keeps them separate. You look at the, at the end of Matthew 25, the, the virgins with their lamps trimmed, etc. And then you have the time, Gentiles are all the Gentile nations are going to stand. What are the Gentile nations judged for at the end of the tribulation? For how they treated whom? Jews. So the prophecies can have a different little bit of nuance effect for the Jewish people. And rather than the Gentile people, we are going to be held in account today. I'm going to be held in account how I serve the Lord. This is the time of the church age. Jewish people today, I really believe need to receive Christ as personal Savior. That's why the Watsons have given their lives the last um, 40 years. And that's why you and I pray for Jewish people. That's why Jacob Gartenhaus founded the International Board of Jewish Missions because he wanted Jewish people to come to know Christ as Savior. And so that, that's... So when you think about the prophetic verses and passages, there's a little bit different how they're going to affect possibly the Jewish, Jewish people and the Gentile people. Question five. Page one, what has God demonstrated by his abilities by causing cosmic disturbances in association with the advance of the army? He's showing that he's God. That's, that's why we do these things. That's why we have the tribulation time on the, is to show that God is God. Israel's going to return to Christ. He's going to wreak judgment upon this earth for its, its, its treatment of his son, etc., and what does God use? His voice. In verse 11, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. The third word, what does that mean? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah. That's the tetragrammaton. That's the J-H-V-H-Y-H-W-H. Jehovah. Yahweh. That's, that's his real name. That's his intrinsic name. That's who Jehovah is. And so he is... Guiding the army. We talked about last time, does God sometimes use foreign entities to exact correction on his people? Yes. Do foreign entities sometimes go a lot further than they're supposed to? Yes. And do sometimes foreign entities without God's direction hurt the Jewish people? Yes. If you were to pick out one people in all of history who have been persecuted more than any, I have a quote by Dr. Gartenhaus. He said these words. He was a friend of Warren Wearsby. Actually, I heard him speak a couple times. I did when I was at Temple, which a lot of me have heard him speak. And he would get up there and he would talk with it. I wondered why. He's a real Jew. And so he, he, was, he was old when I was 20 years old. He was old then. We Jews, quoting, are waterproof and fireproof. He started the International Board of Jewish Missions, which we have been associated with for quite some time through the Watsons. God has blessed us so that nobody can successfully curse us, and we shall be here long after our enemies have perished. End quote. Another man said, No people have suffered more at the hands of their fellow man than have the Jews. Yet God has a plan for them, does he not? He does. Can you just think about how blessed we have been in America? How we have, we have enjoyed prosperity. We have, we have, I have taken these things for granted. That we can come together on Wednesday night and worship and we don't have to go to someone's house on the ground and have a, a special knock. To, oh, that's somebody for church. And then somebody goes, I don't know who that is. Don't open that door because that's not one of the people. Now, we think that's, that's in other countries, 
I'm not saying it's not going to ever happen in America because it could well happen. We, we're, we're headed that direction unless things change. I'm not sure how long. I hope it does change. Mr. Womack prayed for revival. Boy, that's what we need. We need people in authority who may not be, at least they obey what God's word says. We need some real spiritual men who will, women who will do what's right, regardless of whatever party. We just need some men and women who will do the right thing. It's what we need. The, the God thing is what we need. The day of the Lord. It, it, looms, uh, it looms before us. We find in also, and secondly, then our number one was the invasion of the northern army, and it is a call to repentance starting in verse 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anchor, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Rend your hearts, and not your garments. You'll see uh, the one cat we have, uh, I might as well give it, leave it to my name. The one cat we have, she'll roll over and she'll pretend like she's just rolling on the floor. And like she wants you to come up and don't ever pet her belly, because as soon as you do... <laughs> It's like, all oh, a big ruse. It's a big ruse. And then they'll roll over, and then they'll, they'll want to, they, they try to, oh, just try, and then they want to start wrestling before you know it. There we go. Can you not, can't you, have you, are you? Are we playing games spiritually? Now, this is a difficult question. For, I'm asking myself. I think you're not because you're here on Wednesday, but there's only one person who really knows your spiritual purpose. Are you really truly, born again, are you really truly striving? We can play this game. I I don't think that you are because you're here. But may we never start that. It, It is not this facade. We've got so many Christians who don't know beans from apple butter about what the Bible really says. One thing I would really be disappointed if someone asks you something, well, my pastor never teaches me anything about the Bible. I'm just going to, and listen, I'm going to, no, I don't, and no please, I don't want to be said that. That's why, that's why I ask you so many questions. Because I want you, because if the Lord knocks me down, you know, if the Lord if it takes me home tonight, I want the church to carry on without missing the beat. Until the Lord takes us all home. That's why I want you to be prepared. That's why that's my responsibility is to help you, to help your families. That's why I'm here. Easy thing for me to be home with my wife and helping her tonight while she's not feeling very well at all. I do things for her. That would be... The Lord has, has called me to this. And so He's called you too. Whatever capacity it is. Wife, husband... Grandma, grandpa, great, great, grandpa, great, 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 grandpa, whatever. He's called us to serve him. And so let's be about his business. So the call is there. Let it not be a rending of your garments, but your heart is just. It's the Herod syndrome. Oh, tell me when you find him that I may go to Bethlehem and worship him too. What a, what a baloney that is. That's not to be us. We are to be humble servants. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? You want to be first in the kingdom as you be last 
in the kingdom by serving. You, you, you get ahead by, by service. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite of what the world says. Let's continue on. And we find the author, the author of the call, question six, what was Israel's only hope in the threat of the invading army? Of course, was Christ turning to the Lord. Turn, turn with your heart. Not only genuine, you're blank there. You've got a little blank for you. Repentance will do. Genuine repentance will do. What is involved in genuinely true repentance in Psalm 51, if you want, 5117 of the book of Psalms says for us, the sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. We talked about Proverbs chapter 6. The first of the seven, we talked about it Sunday. Well, the first thing listed, what God hates, is the sin of pride. And like almost everything trickles down for that. So genuine repentance is the interchange, but it manifests itself in outward actions. Thus, the call to fast, weep, mourn. That's why he's doing that. Genuine repentance is not merely an outward ritual. However, thus God said, rend your hearts is the blank and not your garments. What God wanted from his people was an inner sorrow, a yearning for righteousness, and anguish over sin. What attributes, question number eight, of God motivate us? What motivates us to change, to confess our sin? What attributes about God should motivate you and me to avoid sin? His holiness. His compassionate love. That even though you get sideways with Him, He doesn't put you out. Even though you, you, you know... You, sometimes we just sin, we know we're doing wrong, but we just want that momentary whatever it is, rather than, let's take a step back. I'm refreshing, I was reading, been reading a, a novel by an author, and there's no cussing, no anything, in it. it's, but it's exciting. It's like, I'm on the second book now, it's like, can't wait to start getting ready on the second. It's like, man, do you know how rare it is to find a novel that doesn't have cussing or all the other things that go with uh, the women, women things. It's refreshing. And I don't do a lot. I spend, most of my time I spend studying. But sometimes for recreational reading, there's, I think there's time for that if you've caught everything caught up. But we, what motivates us, even though we get involved in things, God loves us and compassionate, He's fair, He's just, He wants what is best for us. You know better than I. Some of you are going through some severe trials right now. Bring your spouses. He knows better than I. Do you see any evidence today? Question nine, as we just about winded up, for callousness towards sin among believers? Is there a callousness towards sin among believers? Is there a lackadaisical attitude toward holiness among Christians today? Is there the acceptance of everything worldly into the church so we can look just like the world and, and please ourselves? That we can worship God how we want to worship and He's got to take that? Casual, yes. Our, we, we come to God with casuality. I'm telling you, people would dress up... People would come to stand before a president or someone far more in regal garments or their attitude to be right, what they would be, they put on the very best foot forward. But when we come to worship God, now I'm, I'm not trying to pick up, but when we come to worship God, our attitude should be right. We're coming to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And regardless, 
I, not a big thing on it. I don't make a big thing about a tire. The tire's not it. It is our attitude. It's what is what we're we doing is right. We, we, we put more stock in. If I was going to meet uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, I would wear a tie and a coat and, and, I, would do, and I would put like my best attitude forward because I'm meeting the, the is it president of, is he president? President of Israel? Because that's, you know, he's got a, such an important playing role. But I'm telling you right here, when we come to church, meeting with someone far more important and he deserves our bestest our bestest, and of our heart, our spirit. I read this uh, a couple days ago, and I thought we would, I would close with this. Nehemiah asked, and he said, regarding the people that are in affliction, Nehemiah, he was told they are in the province, they are in great affliction and reproach. When Nehemiah asked the men how the things were in Jerusalem, they gave him the bad news. The walls are broken down and the gates are burned. The people there are in great affliction and reproach. In other words, things aren't going too well. The writer says, many people find themselves in the same situation. They used to have walls, but they have been broken down. There was a time when they were happy, close to God, but now God seems so far away. They find themselves in great affliction. Their life is in turmoil, marital problems, financial problems, problems at work or at school, with the family, with the neighbors. It's more than they can bear. It seems that tragedy is going to strike just any moment. They're in great affliction. They're also in great approach reproach. They have made wrong decisions and feel reproved for doing so. They have said hasty, unkind, untrue things and have hurt people whom they should be loving. Everyone is justified in reproving them for the mess they've gotten themselves into. And when they look in the mirror, their image looks back at them in a reproachful way. You may be saying, I'm allowing sin in my life that never used to be there. I've stopped doing the godly things that I used to do. My life once was happy. My walk with God was a daily blessing. Now things aren't going too well. There's a way. The way to where you are may be complicated, but the way back to God, he says, is simple. Where you are, how you got where you are, it may be complicated, 